going to read from Romans chapter 10 in a minute if you want to go ahead and look Romans chapter 10. But <clears throat> The past several weeks, our, our pastor, Pastor Mike, has been preaching messages from the movies. Uh, this morning, someone saw this uh, thing around my head and said, oh, you're going to speak today. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, I guess we're going from the big screen to the little screen now. Huh? Now, the one who said that didn't know how true that is. Because, you see, I, I was going to preach another movie, but Mike told me I couldn't because, you know, I'm just an associate pastor, so I have to do the small screen. So we're going to talk about TV. Okay? No, Mike didn't really say that. But, you know, I, did, I grew up in the TV generation. My, my group was probably the first ones to come through growing up watching TV. And I have to admit it, I, I like to watch TV, you know, and I always have. Now, when I grew up, our TVs were smaller, didn't have as many choices, like three channels, you know, and uh, didn't have as bright a picture. In fact, when growing up, I had, we had a, most of my growing up years, until I was in high school, we had a 19-inch black and white, okay? That, my computer screen's bigger than that now, you know? Uh, now, that doesn't tell how old I am. It tells how cheap my dad was, okay? <laughs> Everybody else had uh, color TVs, but uh, anyway. But, uh, you know... Coming home from school, I remember back in high school, I'd come home from school, come in, no, the house is empty, grab a snack, turn the TV on, and this is what you would hear. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough, the tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost, the minnow would be lost. The ship's aground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle, with Gilligan, the skipper too. All right, now that was a lot of fun to stand up here and watch uh, BJ and Penny mouth every word there. <laughs> yeah. And others too, you know. All right, we, we know those. Uh, sadly, though, uh, I've talked to, I had a test question in my class at school, and one of the aunt, uh, Choice, multiple choices was Gilligan's Island. You know what? The kids, the small kids today don't know that, this show, okay? Now, my kids did in reruns, but I guess they don't rerun that anymore. Someone goes, what's Gilligan's Island, you know? All right, and some of them picked that as a choice. That's the problem. All right, well, growing up with, with, with that kind of song in your mind and watching those shows, I don't remember watching it too much the, the first time it was on, but through reruns I watched it over and over. You like me? You've seen every episode multiple times. You can almost quote it, all that. Well, because of that, a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, I was driving down the road, and a song came on the radio. I don't remember anything about this song. It was a Christian song. It was on KLRC. I remember that. I don't remember who sang it. I don't remember what they said, except the song kept talking about Mary Ann. Okay? And all I could think of was Mary Ann from Gilligan's Island. You know. So I'm driving down the road, not... My mind works weird sometimes. I'm driving down the road, and my mind comes to Mary Ann of Gilligan's Island. And as I'm driving, I get a message come to me. I'm serious now. 
I began to think of this, okay? And I came up with this scenario. So and that's what we're going to talk about today. What if on Gilligan's Island one day, Gilligan's down at the beach and a bottle has washed up on shore? He gets the bottle, he opens it up, there's a note inside. He gets the note and he gets it out and the note is the gospel. And he reads it and he shares it with all the other castaways on the island. And they all are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that they need Jesus Christ in their life and that he loves them. We'll look at that in a second. But what do they do with that note? And I began to think about each of the castaways and how they might have reacted to the gospel. Let's look, first of all, what was in the note. Let's look at the gospel in a bottle, okay? Let's look at what was in that note. There were five things listed in that note. The first thing listed was the fact that God loves you. God loves you. John 3.16 says it very plainly to us that God loves the world so much that he gave his, his son, right? So that we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. God loves us, okay? That would be the first thing on the note. That's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? The second thing, though, is the bad news of the gospel. And it says not only does God love you, but you know what? You are a sinner. You are a sinner. And Romans 3.23 tells us that that is true. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A little bit, a few verses before that says, there is none righteous, no, not one. We all sin. And because of sin, it separates us from God. Let's go to the third point. It's listed in the bottle. And it says that the cost of sin is death. Not just physical death, but you know what death is? It's separation, right? When someone dies, they're separated from us. It means separation from God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages or the cost of our sin is death. So we've got good news that God loves us, but this bad news that we're sinners and that this sin separates us eternally from God. But then the gospel of the good news comes back in the fourth thing it tells us. And that, that God loves you anyway. And he died and gave his life for you. Even though you are a sinner, even though you've gone against his laws, even though you have rebelled against him, he loves you anyway. Romans 5, 8 says that when we were still sinners, or God demonstrated his love when we were still sinners, he died for us. He died for us when we were sinners, knowing we were sinners, knowing that we didn't deserve it, God died for us anyway. And then that brings us to the last point, and that is that because God, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, because as we studied last week, he rose again, you can have a personal and eternal relationship with God. You can do that. Romans chapter 10 tells us how we can do that. In Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And then verse 13 says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it, guys. That's the gospel in a bottle. Okay? That's the basic concepts of what the gospel is all about. God loves us, but we have rebelled and sinned against Him and can't have a relationship with it. But He died to return that relationship to us. What we need to do is come to Jesus Christ, confess our sins, and accept this great gift of grace that He has for us. That's the gospel. That's what Gilligan read. He hands it around. What does everybody do with that? How do they handle this? I don't know. I mean, let, let's face it, these are uh, fictional characters anyway. But people like the howls. What would the howls have done with the gospel? You see, the Bible tells us that actually the majority of the people in the world reject the gospel. 
The road that leads to destruction is very wide, the Bible tells us. The road that leads to eternal life with Jesus Christ is a very narrow road. Why does most of the world reject the gospel? It's because we put barriers up that keep us from coming into a relationship with God. The howls might have one of the big barriers that a lot of people have even today, right? And that is the wealth barrier, right? The howls would have the wealth barrier in their way. The howls, as you know, Thurston and Lovey Howell, uh, they were consumed with money and the things money could buy. Now, one of the questions, I got a lot of questions about Gilligan's Island. Was one was, how did they take all that money with them on that little boat all that for just a three-hour tour, too? But they, I guess it's because it showed their, their feelings about money. For a three-hour tour, we still have to take trunk loads of money, cash with us, because we've got to have that, because it's that important to us. They were consumed with money and the things they would have. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong with money. And there's nothing wrong with the things money can buy. The Bible is for the money. It is for the things money can buy. Some of the greatest spiritual giants of the Bible were very wealthy men. The Bible never tells us that we have to take like a vow of poverty. Those who do that are doing that out of their own decision. It's not something they're obeying a command in the Bible as such. Uh, We're not told we have to do that, though that might be a wise thing for some of us to do. Because for some of us, Money and the things money can buy is that barrier that's in our way. And maybe we need to take a vow to put it aside because it's the thing that's keeping us from a relationship with God. The howls probably would fit in that category. The Bible, as I said, talks positively about money. If you've been coming to uh, the uh, uh, Financial Peace University, you find out the Bible does talk about it. The Bible gives great advice about it. But the Bible does, when it talks about money, puts a big warning label on it. It does have a big warning label just like... or, or I, bigger than those you, you see on the bottom of the the, bot, the pill bottle or on those commercials. They, do you all get that, notice that? The nightly news. There's every sickness, pill in the world that you can create. It's either a car commercial or a pill commercial on the nightly news, you know. And all of them tell that this will, uh, well, their side effects are, you know, cramping, vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, you know, all that. But you will be able to breathe better, Okay. You know, but there's always all this warning. Be careful. This is good medicine, but be careful. There are side effects. Check with your doctor first because it could create problems, okay? It's like a box of explosives. As big science is danger, but the explosives can be used in the right way for a good purpose, correct? All right? But it's like money. It can be used for a good thing. There's a warning label. There are side effects to it. And one of the side effects of materialism and money is that it gets in the way between us and God. The house might have fallen under that. The Bible tells us, you know, that old famous saying about money is the the root of all evil. There's a big warning sign right there. How about this warning? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this. He says, no one can serve two masters. You've got to make up your mind which one you're going to serve. You cannot serve both God and money. You see the barrier there? You can't do it. If you're going to serve money, if it's going to become that important to you, then you can't have a relationship with God. It's a barrier that gets in the way. And from all the episodes I remember of, um, of uh, Gilligan's Island, the Howells had a big barrier there. It was their God. It was something they considered very important. In Mark chapter 10, there's a story of a man, I think this was past year, I, I, I preached about that in a sermon, about that came to Jesus Christ and wanted to know the way to eternal life. But Jesus knew the guy's heart, and he knew there was a big barrier there, and it was the barrier of money and materialism. And that guy comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus told him, uh, you know, you've got to remove this barrier if you really want to come to me. 
And the guy went away sad, it says. And Jesus said this, It is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. didn't say it was impossible. He said, but there's a huge barrier. That that barrier has to get out of the way if we're going to come to Christ. And, you know, you don't have to be a rich person like Thurston Howell III in order to have money as your barrier, though. You could be a very poor person, but your priority of your life is, I've got to get out of this. I've got to get the money. I've got to get the money. I think one of the key things that I've noticed in Haiti and other countries, like you're talking about in Mali as well, very poor countries, we find a lot of really happy people, don't we? Okay. You know, they don't have the money barrier in the way. And uh, they don't let it get in the way. Sure, they want to improve their lives, but it's not a passion that they've got to work over and over and over to, to climb the corporate ladder or something like that. They work just to, to make daily uh, their daily needs met. You know, like that. But it's interesting to find the sadness, the the depression that we find here in America with people who are consumed with this, right? You go to places where people don't have anything, and wow, a lot of freedom they have, and the more open they are to come to God. Money and things have kept many people from God. It's a big barrier. Money can't buy happiness. You ever heard that? I once said that in a children's church. I wrote that statement down this week, and my mind flashed back to a children's church, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I know. And uh, and this kid goes, oh, yeah, it can. You know? I said, no, it doesn't either. He said, well, I get stuff and it makes me happy. You know? And, and, and I thought about that. And you know what I realized? I remembered who that kid was. He's now a, a quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Luke McCowan right now. So he's got quite a bit of money right now. I'm wondering what his opinion is on, on that right now. But I remember him saying that. But you know what he was saying? You know what? He, he was right. It does give you a temporary rush. But I know Luke. Luke was pretty... ADHD, run around, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it made him happy for this long until he could want to get over here and find something else to make him happy. Yeah, I know that. And that's the way it is with material things. Yeah, you get a pretty temporary high for it. It's nice and everything like that, but it doesn't take long for us to want something else, right? It really doesn't buy us lasting happiness. And let me tell you this, plain and simple, money can't buy you eternal life. It does not buy you a relationship with Jesus Christ. No way, no how, okay? So, what about you? What about you in your life? Is that a barrier in your life? Uh, you say, well, I, you know, I, I don't have a lot of money. No, no, is striving for money a big deal? Is your job come above everything else? Your job above your family? Your job above your, uh, above your relationship with God? Your job above the church? Then maybe that's a sign that is a barrier, that is holding you back from the relationship with God that you can truly have. Maybe you're a Thurston Howell the fourth, you know. Maybe you're the offspring. Huh? You're the next generation craving for the money. Well... You know, just based on my observations, I think the Howells might have turned the gospel down because of that barrier in their life. Well, what about Ginger? Gin, lovely Ginger Grant, right? The movie star. Well, you know what barrier she might have had in the way? How about the fame barrier? Okay. Uh, I think we could also call it the self barrier. Is that what fame is all about so I can be recognized so everybody can see me and know me? You know, Ginger Grant, let's put it plainly, she was consumed not with money, she was consumed with herself, right? Ginger was consumed with ginger, yeah. The desire to be the most important, the desire to be loved and admired and all of that. Uh, and, you know, I, again, I, that's not wrong to want to be accepted and those kind of things, but uh, the desire to be above all else, to put yourself above all else. Uh, and you don't have to always be famous. You may say, well, I, I'm, a ner- I'm kind of a shy person. I wouldn't want to get up on the stage there, so, so I must not want fame. 
Ah, but you know, I know a lot of times you sit in the back, though, and you wish everybody would look at you. I mean, you know what I mean? I look at you, pay attention to you, that they would uh, they would love you, that they would, you know, everything would be, they would meet your needs, that they would do whatever you need, okay? Have you ever found that to be true? I found that to be true. If everybody just do what I want, the world would be a great place. You know? I'd get along real fine with everybody if they would meet me. But, you know, that's not the way life is, is it? But that's the way Ginger was, seeking attention, seeking acceptance. What does everybody else think? What, what can everybody do for me? That's a big problem sometimes, even in the church. It was back in the day, Jesus' day. In Matthew chapter 6, he addresses this. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says this, Be careful not to do the acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And he goes on to give examples of praying and giving and fasting. And he says all of these things, be careful that you don't do them for the wrong reason. They're good things to do. Please give. Please pray. Please fast. But if you're doing it to get the fame, to get the glory, to everybody to see you, to everybody think good about you, then you miss the whole point. You'll get your reward. You'll get the fame you want. But that's all you'll get. You'll miss out on the rewards of heaven. You'll miss out on rewards of relationship with God. You'll miss out on the rewards, the rewards of God's blessings for doing those things. We still do that, I think. And maybe we don't come in church and when they pass the, in this church, popcorn buckets around. You know, look, look what I'm giving, you know, like that. Maybe you don't do like that. But, you know, a lot of people I see come looking for churches. You know, this is a very mobile area, a lot of people moving in. And unfortunately, a lot of times we're looking for a church that, what can you do for me? Isn't that the same kind of attitude, though? The same basic thing that Ginger Grant went around going, what can the world do for me? What can the church do for me? You know, what do you got for me? Instead of, where can I find a place where I can serve others? Where can I find a place where it can be all about God? Where I can worship Him, where He gets lifted high, instead of everything for me and my family? Hmm? I think sometimes we, get in, we let ourselves get in the way, and we put up a, ourselves or a big barrier between us and God. You want to know how God feels about pride? Check out, I won't, I'm just going to hit it, if you can read it on your own, but check out in the book of Daniel a story about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar walked out on his balcony one day and said, Ooh, what a mighty king I am. Look at my empire. Haven't I done a great thing? Glory to me. And God struck him crazy. He went crazy. He said he spent the next several years out uh, living like an animal out in the fields until God put him back in his right mind. And when he came back, he had a little different perspective on things. He said, wow, what a good job God did in giving me this kingdom. You know, Ah, back to where it all matters. Look in the book of Acts at another king, King Herod. says he came out, made a great speech, and everybody was all, oh, the people were saying, oh, it's the voice of a God. What a, what a speaker. What a guy. And it says Herod was struck down dead and eaten with worms. Is that going to give you an idea how God feels about this, this selfish stuff, this, uh, this prideful thing? Back in the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, a nice little couple in the church. Everybody loved them, you know. They were kind of behind-the-scenes kind of people, but they kind of longed for a little bit of recognition, just a little more fame, a little more pride they wanted to have, you know. So everybody, there had been some people in the church who had gone out and sold their property and given all the money of that property to the church fund. And they realized everybody was going, oh, how wonderful these people are. And they said, you know, we'd kind of like to get on, in on that and have everybody talk about how wonderful we are. They went out and sold some property, gave a portion of it to the church. That's all they had to do anyway. That's fine. 
kept a big portion for themselves, but then went and told everybody, we gave it all. It was a pride thing. We want everybody to recognize us. Again, God struck them dead. Does that give you an idea? You see all these people with pride and God striking them dead? Aren't you glad God doesn't do that all the time? Did he just use them as some examples for us? Because if he struck people with pride down, you'd be having someone else speak today. I know that. And you probably have a different audience to speak to or something. All right? But that shows you how, that, what a barrier that is. This, it's not about us. It's about coming to Him, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the Savior, the answer that we need. So I kind of have a feeling Ginger Grant would have a hard time getting past the problem that she was a sinner, you know, and, she, and all of that stuff and humbling herself before God. Hmm. What about you? Are you a Ginger Grant? Is it all about you? Even coming to church and doing the church thing, is it still all about you? And don't expect to have a great relationship with God if it's all about you, right? But what about the professor, the good old professor? You know what barrier he might have? The intellectual barrier, right? That's a barrier a lot of people have. I mean, the professor is the perfect example of knowledge and wisdom that this world has. I mean, that guy, he knows he knew everything. Give him bamboo and coconut shells and a few spare parts, and anything works. You know, he could do anything. Another one of those questions is, how did those batteries last so long? Another radio. Okay? That's a miracle of God, yeah? Eh? I, I don't know. But, you know, he, he could do anything. A very, very intelligent man. And there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with, with fame. There's nothing wrong with intelligence for sure, you know? I'm a school teacher. Get your education. By the way, you know, I heard something this week. Let me give you one more reason. I told my kids this Friday because I heard it on TV Thursday night. Uh, on TV, <laughs> that's where I learned everything. Um, I teach history. I watch the History Channel. That's all. Uh, no, this is really interesting. A statistic, they did a study and showed that the higher education you get, the longer life you live. So I told them, I said, you've been telling, they tell you to stay in school. Here's another reason. You live a few extra years just by, by higher education. You get, okay, so education's okay. It's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't trust in your intellect alone. You can't trust in that and make that your God. You can't say, I don't need God because I can't quite understand Him. Okay? I can't cross all the T's and dot all the I's and make it all fit. You know, I, I, you know the scientific method. I can't do all of that. You know? The Bible says something about the world's wisdom. In Ecclesiastes 12, 12, Solomon, who had all that wisdom, said this. He said, of making books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. That's, that's my class's theme verse you know, at school. Okay? You, they say you can't have the Bible in school. They, that's their verse. You know, much study wearies the body. You know, they do that. All right? But, you know, that, you do. You study a lot. You can cram your mind full of a lot of things, but sometimes all you get out of that is tired, isn't it? All right? But the Bible does say more than that about earthly wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul really compares earthly wisdom with God's wisdom, with the cross of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, this is what he says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? 
he is not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. All right? Paul says, you want to compare the two? They don't compare at all. In fact, the world looks at the cross and they look at Jesus Christ and they look at the gospel and when they try to put it in their little books and their mind, fit it in their minds, it's foolishness to them. Why in the world would God do that? Why in the world would God save the world that way? And they reject it because they can't understand it all. This morning I just got the newspaper and was laying it out there and, and I just something caught my eye so I looked at it. It was a one paragraph review of a book that was coming out soon written by a former Christian, it says, former believer, who, who was said he had basically rejected the faith because he couldn't understand it all, all, all about God. Well, let's all reject it then, because we're not God and we're not going to understand him completely, are we? His thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. Okay? What about, you know what Christianity is? It's not a faith of intellect, though it does make sense. But it is, it, is a, I mean, it is a religion of faith. It's about faith. And if I could understand everything about God, where's the faith then, right? You know? I don't mind not understanding it all. It makes me lean on Him then. It makes me trust in Him. When times come in my life and I can't figure it all out, and I'm a kind of a black and white kind of person, I do like to figure it all out, it drives me to Him though. And I have to come to him and I have to say, God, I don't understand. Help me see this. Here's the reason that the intellect can be such a barrier. It's found in the next verses here in 1 Corinthians, the rest of that chapter. And what it is that keeps us from God. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He said we do this therefore as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's so that we don't boast so that we don't come and it's all about ourselves. Okay? The mind, it's still, it's about my mind and what I can comprehend and what I can think and what I can know. No, it's about trusting in God, trusting in Jesus Christ and what he can do for you. The professor very likely would say no. So how about you? Do you need all the answers? Well, what I challenge you to do is step out in faith. Step out and trust God that he has all the answers, even though you may not be able to put it all together. Let's go to the next one. What about Mary Ann? Sweet little Mary Ann, right? It's surely if anybody's in going to heaven, it's the sweet little Mary Ann. But you know what? Mary Ann may have as big a barrier as any of them. It's called the good person barrier. Hmm? 
the good person barrier. You know, I'm a good person. I'm really good. I do lots of nice things. I treat people well. I smile a lot, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I go to church. I do all this and I do all that. So I don't need anything else. I've earned my way there. That may be the biggest barrier of all. The world is full of those. In fact, someone made this statement and said, you know that hell will be able to have great church services with a number of pastors and Sunday school teachers and choir members and so on that are there. And some people, oh, don't say that. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. What did Jesus say there? He says, not everyone says to me, Lord, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He said the day of judgment is going to come and there's going to be a good number of people. They're going to come up and they're going to lay out all their good works. They're going to lay out all the things they've done. I mean, that was some pretty impressive stuff there. We've done miracles, Lord. We've done, we've prophesied. We've done all of these things. And Jesus, the saddest words to me in all the Scripture, is he's going to look at them and go, and who are you again? I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. Why? Because they had this huge barrier of, I'm a good person, that's good enough. They never came to the realization that my being good is not still good enough. I still fall short of God's standard. I'm still a sinner. I may be better than a lot of people. And we can all find somebody to compare ourselves to, right, and look pretty good. You know, you know I still, I'm better than most. I'm, I, I Surely I reach up. Surely I'm good enough. But what a huge barrier. Because the Bible says salvation is not by your works. Ephesians 2 says... That it's not by works, but it's by grace. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's of the gift of God, not by works. Why? So no one can boast. It's not about your works. You can't stand before God and brag about how good that is and how good you are and how worthy you are to come into his kingdom. It's all about grace. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, says the same thing another way. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Okay? That's what it's all about. It's not by the righteous things we've done, because the righteous things we've done are not good enough. And a lot of people are going to stand before God and be very disappointed because they counted on being a good person. And that turned out to be a barrier to them and God. Well, what about the skipper? As I was thinking about the skipper, I thought about two things about the skipper. Kind of before and after the, the crash, the, the wreck, uh, the shipwreck. Uh, in the beginning, the skipper might have had the self-sufficient man barrier, you know, the captain of my own ship, you know, a sailor and the owner here, and I'm in control of it all and all that, you know. He may have had that in the beginning. But probably by this time, by the time he's crashed here on, on, the, on this uh, forsaken island here, and he's probably come up with a new one, and that is, I'm a failure barrier. A lot of people have that one where, you know, the captain, as the captain of the ship, he considers himself most responsible for the wreck, for the, for the shipwreck. He's failed at the one thing he had confidence maybe that he could do. Uh, he's let everyone down. 
And he's just like a lot of people who have this barrier in their life. People who say, this is kind of the extreme, you know. You have the people who say, I'm good enough to get in heaven. And then you have the others who say, I'll never be good enough. There's nothing. I've been too bad. I've gone too far. And God would never forgive me. That's a big barrier too. Except the Bible over and over and over again says, uh-uh. Remember what Romans 5, 8, we said it earlier in the book, uh, said that God demonstrates, God proves his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for. It's, it's sinners that he died for. So when you say, God can't forgive me because I'm sinned too much, no, that's exactly, that's the whole purpose. That's the whole point of it all. He died especially for you. And the book, book of the, the Bible is full of stories of restoration, isn't it? That's all the Bible is. It's just stories of restoration from the prodigal son who ran away and, and, and you know, spent all of his inheritance but came back and his father was waiting for him to, to Peter the disciple who the night of Jesus' uh, crucifixion, you know, right before Jesus denied that he ever knew him three times and yet after the resurrection Jesus just brought Peter right back. Or the story of the apostle Paul who, whose job earlier in his life was to actually put Christians into prison and kill them. But yet, God made him one of the greatest missionaries of all time. It's restoration. That's the story of the Bible. So you can never come with that kind of barrier and say, I'm a failure barrier. Man, Jesus knocks that thing down real fast. His death did that. You know, are you kind of like that? Do you fall under the, the skipper where you think maybe what you've done in the past is too much? Never, you'd never go too far. God still doesn't love you, and God still bring you back. So guess who that leaves us with, huh? Good old Gilligan. Because, you know, when I got to thinking about it, I figured if anybody's open to the gospel, it's probably Gilligan. Because you know what? Gilligan had a humble heart, didn't he? Okay? Oh, you get aggravated. Everybody got aggravated at him all the time. He was a klutz. He was a little, little slow in a lot of ways. But Gilligan had a humble heart. And we're told that if we're going to come to Christ, we need to come with a humble heart. I don't think anybody on that island would have, uh, I don't think Gilligan would have had a problem admitting he failed. I don't think Gilligan would have had a problem saying, you're right, I'm weak, I'm a sinner, I need somebody bigger than me. I think Gilligan would have admitted that very, very quickly. And you know what? That's what it takes to come to God. Um, in 1 John 1, 9, we're told that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to pure us from all, uh, clean us from all unrighteousness and, and to clean us up if we'll just come and confess. He was willing to do that. I think He would be willing to do that. In Isaiah 66, 2, uh, Jesus, or, or God says, This is the one I esteem, the one I lift up, He who is humble and contrite in spirit. You want to be lifted up by God, you come get on your knees before Him and He lifts you up, right? That's how it works. You know, if you wanted to use one word to describe Gilligan, it would be what? Childlike? Would you, would you say that's a good description of Gilligan? Childlike. Well, you know, in Jesus' day, a bunch of children came to him and they tried to run the kids away. And Jesus says, no, 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 let them stay. In Matthew chapter 18, he tells why that he wanted the kids to stay. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to get you want a relationship with me? You really want to get into heaven? Then you've got to come like a kid. In faith, in humbleness. 
purely trusting. That's the way it is. So, you know, I think if they all read, took that note and read it around, if anybody came to Christ, I think it would be Gilligan. I think we can learn a lot from the guy. Yeah? You never knew that, did you? But you can learn something from a silly, what seemed like a meaningless show. But, you know, when you come down to it, it's kind of a little small picture of all of mankind, isn't it, there on that island? There are those who let things and money get in their way and keep them from God. There are those who are so concerned about themselves that they let themselves and what they want and all that get in the way of letting them come to God. There are those who, who, who I've got to figure it and reason it all out. I've got to have everything. I've got to know it all before I can come to God. There are those who say, well, you know, I'm good enough. I've got it made already. There are those who say, no, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. It's not worth it. And then there are those who come into the kingdom of God who come and say, you're right. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. I mess up. I need God. That's the gospel according to Gilligan. I wrote a little song. This is the gospel according to Gilligan in a song. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a faithful thing that started in a beautiful garden created by the king. The king was a great and mighty God, the couple pure and good. Satan came to tempt him to sin and do all bad he could, and do all bad he could. The couple chose to disobey. From the garden they were tossed. If not for the love of Almighty God, the world would be lost. Because of sin, all men are stuck. They have no hope at all, except that Jesus came to die to save us from the fall. Jesus died on the cross. To pay all for our sin, to save Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor and Mary Ann, you and me too. <laughs> That's the story, guys. No hope. All is lost. We're stuck forever on a desert island except for a Savior, a Rescuer named Jesus Christ? Is there a barrier in your way that's keeping you from Jesus Christ? And you know what? I find out even those of us who've committed our lives to Christ, we let those barriers creep back, don't we? Get caught up in the self thing and the money thing and what I want to buy and this and that and the, all of those things. Still, I still battle with those. How about you? Are you battling one of, one of the barriers now as a Christian? Have you never become a Christian? Have you never come with the humble heart and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? I want you to take the time now to let God speak to you, reveal who you are on the island, where you are in a relationship with Him. And I want to encourage you more than anything today to remove the barriers and enjoy the life, the eternal, blessed life that God has for you. Let's pray. Dear Father, I come to you this morning. Uh, thank you that, Lord, we can find truth anywhere because you're there. And Lord, just help us learn the message from your word of how much you love us and how that you can overcome any barrier if we'll come humbly before you. Lord, I pray if there's someone in the group today that's never accepted you as their Savior this morning, that they would just put all the barriers aside they would come to you 
and give their heart and life to you. Lord, those of us who've, who've given our lives to you and we name ourselves as Christians, and Lord, it's a, it's a struggle every day to keep the barriers away, though, isn't it? And you know that. And you're here to help us, Lord. And I just pray that if there, there are those who are struggling right now with, with barriers in their life, that you'd remove them. Lord, you've said that you want to give us both an eternal and an abundant life. This morning, clear the, clear the things away so we can enjoy and, and have what you want us to have. May we come to you this morning.